0: You're listening to Randall Wallace presents, formerly Bridging the Political Gap, the number one American History podcast of 2024 by Feedspot.com.
1: The Republican candidate, please, the Republican candidate, owes it to the people to come out of the shadows. bringing your television camera down here. You fellas do an awful lot to promote that with that camera. Come on down here, will you? knock it off, will you please? The war. Who can you trust to hold this wonderful country of ours together as one people and one nation? And who can lead this country forward? I think you know the answer. The
2: pause can be agreed to one which will not endanger American lives and
3: one which will increase the chances for bringing a peaceful and honorable solution to the war then we are for it. And the one man who can make that determination
0: is the President of the United States. Let's let him make that determination and if he makes it, we will support him because we want peace and we do not want to play politics with peace.
4: On November the 3rd, with the national elections only two days off, the last hours of the Democratic campaign took priority on the president's schedule. He arrived in Houston to lead a delegation of Texas congressmen and party officials in welcoming the Democrats' standard-bearer, Hubert Humphrey, along with Mrs. Humphrey, his constant campaign companion and active teammate. Few campaigns ever began with the uphill battle that had faced Mr. Humphrey. After the Democratic Convention, the polls indicated he trailed the Republican opposition by 16 percentage points. Heckling disrupted a number of his rallies. After the first discouraging weeks, there were predictions of a defeat at the polls as severe as the Republican loss in 1964. By mid-autumn, however, as he began his long, slow climb, he saw the margin of percentage points that separated him from his opponent rapidly narrow. And now in the Houston Astrodome, after 98,000 miles of rigorous campaigning, the foes were virtually neck and neck.
2: Election, a man who represents the faith of one America, a man who is progressive and compassionate, is seeking the office of president. That man, my friend and coworker for more than 20 years, I can tell you is a healer and is a builder and will represent all the people all the time. He has a beautiful, able, wonderful teammate, Muriel Humphrey. I want her to stand up and take a bow here. For many years, for many years, Hubert and Muriel have stood by our side. When we fought the battles of the people in the Senate in the Executive Department and in the White House. And I say to you that you'll never find a better First Lady than this one, and I hope you'll put her there next Tuesday.
1: What a day you give me in Houston and this great Astrodome.
2: politics,
1: Texas-style, American-style, big, enthusiastic and friendly politics, and that's the Democratic style, too. Two days from now, the American people will exercise that great sovereign power of the right of the ballot, and they'll be entering the voting booth where they will make the great decision as to whom shall lead them, whom can they trust to work for a better America at home, and a stronger America at home and abroad. And the people will speak with that ballot, and they will be heard. I want you to speak with that ballot. The American people will make their decision about the kind of a world in which their children will live. And I want you, my fellow Americans, to vote your hopes, not your hates. To vote your faith, not your doubts. To vote your ideals, not your suspicion.
4: The campaign had ended for both Democrats and Republicans. The race had been hard fought by both sides and was virtually a toss-up. But in spite of the closeness, there were at least two Texas votes Mr. Humphrey could count on. As polling places closed throughout the East, it was apparent that George Wallace, the third-party candidate, had captured five southern states with their 45 electoral votes. With the big-vote states of New York, Pennsylvania, and Michigan falling early into the Democratic column, the possibility emerged that neither major candidate could claim a majority in the Electoral College. If so, the election would be thrown into the House of Representatives, a constitutional crisis not seen since 1825. This is
5: CBS, Channel 5 in San Antonio, KENSTV. It is indeed a toss-up. We've got those uh, big states that are outstanding, Uh, New Jersey, Texas, Ohio, Illinois, and California. They are going to make the difference. Waiting to see if Mrs. Humphrey joins them on the stage.
1: We have, as you know, uh... Several of the very important states that are nip and tuck, where the decision, I'm sure, will not be known until sometime at least uh, uh, late tomorrow. And uh, if you want to stay up to wait for all of that, I'm all for you. Uh,
4: The vice president's 11th hour surge of popular support carried the election deadlocked until the following morning. Illinois, with its 26 electoral votes, finally swung into the Republican column, and with it, Hubert Humphreys bid for the high office on Pennsylvania Avenue. For Richard Nixon, now President-elect, the long night was over.
6: It's nice to
1: know. (laughs) I'm sure you know that I have already called uh, uh, Mr. Nixon, expressed to him our congratulations. And I've sent the following telegram just a few moments ago to Mr. Nixon. It reads as follows. According to unofficial returns, you are the winner in this election. My congratulations. Congratulations. Please know that you will have my my support in unifying and leading the nation. This has been a difficult year for the American people. I'm confident that if constructive leaders of both our parties join together now, we shall be able to go on with the business of building the better America we all seek in a spirit of peace and harmony. Signed, uh, Hubert H. Humphrey. Now, let me say uh, <clears throat> just another word. Senator Muskie and I wish to thank the people who supported our nomination and election. I've been in touch with the senator already this morning, talked with both the senator and his family. I wish especially to thank my family, some of whom are here with me, and my campaign staff, and particularly to thank Mrs. Humphrey, who was the secret weapon. And as I said to some of you last night to thank each and every one of you, I intend to continue... Uh, my dedication to public service and uh, to the building of a responsive and vital Democratic Party. I shall continue my personal commitment to the cause of human rights, of peace and to the betterment of man. If I have helped in this campaign to move these causes forward, I feel rewarded. I have done my best. I have lost. Mr. Nixon has won. The democratic process has worked its will. So now let's get on with the urgent task of uniting our country. Thank you. to have any extra sympathy. As a matter of fact, what I'd like to have you do is just redouble your efforts to do what you thought you were doing and what I thought I was doing. Maybe we can make an even greater contribution to the things that are important in this country. I really don't feel very badly. I uh, actually feel that uh, we've done a heck of a job I don't want you to think we'll continue the campaign right away, but I I just thought you ought to know you maybe ought to have a little rest. We intend to take some. We're not quite sure just what we're going to do with the next few days. Uh, We're going to stay out here in Minnesota. I haven't mowed the lawn for some time, and uh, there still is a few things to do out at our place. As a matter of fact, I feel a great sense of both release and relief. And I hope and pray that all of you will feel the same way. I want you to be of good cheer. I'd like to have you feel a little happy. It's not easy, uh, but uh, quite frankly, this was an uphill fight all the way. I was the first one to know it. And I think the last one on the line of my staff that recognized it, I never had any doubt but whether it would be a close fight, Come see, come saw, you know, one way, one. It bounced a little one way, it bounced a little another. We've got a president-elect. He's going to have my help. Cheers.
3: Gentlemen, I didn't realize so many of you would stay up so late. <laughs> I want to express first my grateful appreciation to all of those in this room, but more than that, through the medium of television and radio, the thousands and I understand millions across the country who worked for our cause. I know that uh, many that I will never have a chance to speak to personally gave hours and days of time. And we will always be grateful for what you did. Uh, We hope we can be worthy of the support that we had of the thousands of volunteer workers in state after state who did far beyond the call of duty in helping us to the victory that was won. I, as you probably have heard, have received a very gracious message from the Vice President uh, congratulating me for winning the election. I've also had a telephone conversation with him, and I thought I might share with you and also our television audience some of the thoughts that I expressed to him in that telephone conversation. I congratulated him for his gallant and courageous fight against great odds. I admire a fighter, and uh, he proved himself to be one. He never gave up, and uh, he gave us a good fight. I also told him that as he finished this campaign that I know exactly how he felt. I know how it feels to lose a close one. (laughs) Having lost a close one eight years ago, and having won a close one this year, I can say this. Winning's a lot more fun. (laughs) But I would like to express to him, and also to the thousands that worked for him, because he, like myself, uh, had a great core of volunteer workers, many young people as well as others, a bit of philosophy that has guided me through the years of defeat uh, toward this victory, and it is this. A great philosophy is never won without defeat. It is always one without fear. What is important is that a man or a woman engage in the battle, be in the arena, participate. And uh, I hope that all of those that supported Mr. Humphrey and, uh, will continue their interest in politics, uh, They will perhaps be in the other party. Uh, We may be contesting again, who knows. But the important thing is that our process in this country works better when we have devoted, dedicated people giving their all in battle for a cause that they believe in. And I would urge particularly the young people who supported him and lost, not to be discouraged, uh, but to continue their interest and to go on to other areas of public service. Also, I would like to report that I had a conversation today with Mrs. Eisenhower. She of course was pleased with the result and she said the general was elated. Uh, This afternoon I plan to move uh, to to go to Key Biscayne, Florida with my family for a few days off. Three days I think. But on the way we're going to stop in Washington and call on the general.
7: And.
1: i
3: i've also i've also received a very gracious wire from president johnson from austin texas uh, in which he uh, congratulated me and indicated his desire to be of assistance in the next administration Uh, i in turn pledge again to him uh, my assistance and cooperation in the interim period between now and the inauguration and any activity that may be helpful in bringing the peace to the world that we all want. And I look forward in the next administration uh, to have a relationship with the former President Johnson, as such as President Eisenhower has had with him. Uh, Those who have served in this high office, only those who have served in this office, uh, can know the tremendous burdens and they have so much to offer uh, in their years of what will be called retirement. And then one final thought that I would like to leave with regard to the character of the new administration. I saw many signs in this campaign. Some of them were not friendly. Some were very friendly. Uh, but the one that touched me the most was one that I saw in Deschler, Ohio, at the end of a long day of whistle-stopping. A little town, I suppose five times the population was there in the dusk, was. Almost impossible to see, but a teenager held up a sign, bring us together. And that will be the great objective of this administration at the outset, to bring the American people together. This will be an open administration, open to new ideas, open to men and women of both parties, open to the critics as well as those who support us. We want to bridge the generation gap. We want to bridge the gap between the races. We want to bring America together. And I am confident that this task is one that we can undertake and one in which we will be successful. And finally, (laughs) if I could close them. If I could close on uh, on personal note, I mentioned my many supporters around the country and the wonderful people in this room who stayed up all the night. So did I. <laughs> but uh, surrounding me are four people who have meant much to this campaign and to my life. My wife, who has endured more of my speeches than even the members of the press. And you know how tired you get tired of it. Believe me, it takes a real trooper to hear a speech over and over again for 21 years, and active as it is new, each time. And of course, my two daughters, who were able to participate in this campaign and uh, gave us a tremendous lift by their campaigning all over the country in 35 states, and David Eisenhower, who all campaigned very effectively in his own right. Uh, now, I think all of you probably wondered. Uh, how I felt about winning the election and naturally in my press conferences I always gave the appearance of complete optimism we were going to win that is what you have to say <laughs> but I want all of you to know that there are moments when we have doubts and all of us had doubts but there was one member of our family I learned that had no doubts at all because uh, immediately after we saw the final return this morning at 9 30 or so on television that the the Illinois uh, votes were now considered to be in our column. My daughter Julie asked me to come into her room that she had a present for me that she had made and worked on all the time during these trips that she was taking across the country. And when you see this present, you will see she never had any doubt at all. Here it is. show you how unsophisticated I am about this kind of art. When I saw it, I said, isn't that needlepoint? And she said, no, it's cruel. (laughs) But uh, it's the kindest thing that I've had happen, even though it's cruel. Thank you. you. Sandy Vanover, Ed Newman. I thought it was interesting to note Nixon said the sign he saw during the
5: campaign that cuts somebody held up in, I've forgotten what town, saying, bring us together. It seems to me, and I wonder if it does to you, that the most immediate need in this country is something like that, rather than a lot of fancy new legislation out of Congress, because if the country is not brought together, it's not going to last. What do you think? I agree, David?
8: I agree with you, David. Um, we've had a lot of legislation in Washington in the last five years. It was needed legislation. It had been bottled up for about uh, 20 years. with was the unfinished business of the New Deal. But now it needs refinement. People don't like the big, massive federal programs. And what they need is something that I can only call the politics of soul soul politics. Uh, they do want to feel uplifted somehow. And I think that may be more essential right now than any kind of new legislation they desperately feel especially after this year that we've all gone through uh the need for binding up the wounds uh for the president not so much for what he does in the congress but for what he is as a human being yes well i agree
9: also david i think a couple of things worth pointing out i've done a little figuring on the popular vote and it looks to me as though it's going to run about 73 million which is really not very Uh, Not nearly so many as had been anticipated, not so many as had been hoped, which suggests that a good many people stayed away. The second thing is, of course, that it's an extremely close election, and it cannot be interpreted as any kind of resounding vote of confidence in Nixon. Um, uh, What the country is really telling Nixon, it seems to me, is we'll tolerate you, but uh, we're not enthusiastic about you. And... uh, whether he can bring the country together in these circumstances, I don't know. I don't know whether anybody could in any circumstances because of everything that's happened. But uh, that the need is there is plain, and judging by what he said, he certainly recognizes it. Uh, but the election itself, I think, has not been
7: a healing thing. Maybe he can turn it into one. Well, of course, <laughs> Richard Nixon is a plurality and not a majority president. Our... It seems to me he has a a tremendous opportunity here, and if he lucks out a bit and handles it well, his popularity rating could be far greater than this word plurality suggests, because the country has indicated that it wants to be headed in a new direction. I think we're probably a little vague as to what uh, that uh, direction is. And uh, maybe the country itself is a little bit vague about it, but Sanders suggested it. Maybe the end of big government programs. Maybe we need just some new equipment and new machinery to handle some old programs. But uh, Nixon has a great opportunity here. Chet, you know, every president has this period of grace, what
8: I think the poet Wordsworth called the willing suspension of disbelief. People are ready to believe anything. And I think what Mr. Nixon has to do very quickly is to move uh to settle a vietnam war because as long as this cancer continues to infect the body politic of this country he can't really get on with the unfinished agenda of the american democracy and it'll be interesting to see how he moves so he doesn't have responsibility for the peace talks in paris how he moves very quickly to uh ingratiate himself into the formula for solving this conflict
5: well he does as you say have what Commonly called what is commonly called the honeymoon, a chance and a chance to do some things before his enemies gather and turn against him. I suspect that uh, the Nixon years will be uh, not terribly unlike the Eisenhower years, though of course he doesn't have the doesn't have the advantage of being a great national hero that Eisenhower was. He probably is the most popular president in our lifetime. Probably could be elected again if he were younger and healthier and it were legal. Um. So I would guess it would be somewhat like that. Not a time of great social turmoil, of legislative turmoil, innovation, new ideas. I suspect we'll see very few, and maybe some, uh, maybe some uh, attention to some old ones.
9: David, there is a somewhat uncomfortable point that I think has to be made, which is that uh, Nixon is not entirely trusted by large segments of the American population. It doesn't matter that he's been elected. That continues, continues to be the case And that's going to complicate, make more difficult the task he has of uh, unifying the nation. It's going to be terribly, terribly difficult, and the very narrow division in the
7: election will not help. That's the natural banner for any sprightly front page tonight. At almost midday Eastern time, NBC News projected Richard Nixon, the 37th president of the United States, when it became evident he had carried Illinois. Final returns may well reveal that, indeed, it was Mayor Richard Daley's Illinois and Mayor Richard Daley's Chicago which averted a deadlock and a political constitutional crisis of incredible proportions. Ninety-four percent of the popular vote is counted. There are the numbers. An hour or so ago, I carried the percentages out to six digits, and it went like this. Nixon, 43.2959%. Humphrey, 43.2584%. Wallace, 13.4457, and now it's gone a little over 14. In short, Nixon and Humphrey are separated by about 375 thousandths of one percent. The electoral vote shows Nixon with 287, Humphrey with 166, and Wallace with 45. David?
5: As it turned out, in the late, tired hours of last night, or the early tired hours of this morning, Richard Nixon won the election this time, where eight years ago he lost it in Illinois. It was so close, it took forever, but he won it, and in winning that, he won the presidency. It was, again, one of the closest elections in American history. Closer even than when Nixon lost to Kennedy eight years ago. His lead over Humphrey in the popular vote is still only about 25,000 votes or about one-fifth of a vote per precinct. There are states where we still don't know, even now, for certain, who won. But whichever way these states go now, they can't change the outcome. Here, for the figures up to this minute, are some of the big, important states that kept Nixon, Humphrey, and the country waiting all night to see what happens beginning with New York there is the result Humphrey won it in Michigan Humphrey won it in Ohio Nixon California Nixon won it but barely Texas still not sure in Texas In Missouri, we're still not sure. Too close. Pennsylvania went to Humphrey. Took a long time to decide it, but it went. And Illinois for Nixon, and that did it.
4: The Huntley Brinkley Report is produced by NBC News and brought to you
7: in color by New (laughs) Vixen.
0: This is Randall Wallace, uh, your host for Bridging the Political Gap. I want to thank you first for tuning in to our podcast and invite you to come to our website, RandallWallace.com. There you can get a copy of our book, Always Vote Your Conscience, Don't Take It Personally, and Don't Fight the Same Old Battles Over and Over Again, with a lot of policy suggestions and things that I think everyone can embrace, an argument for why we need to be working together instead of fighting with each other. Also, you can take a look at the first 11 episodes of this podcast, which was a podcast documentary that looked at the World War II generation of bipartisan leadership that built the American century and the lessons we can learn from them to apply to today's situations. Again, thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And if you've enjoyed our show, please leave us a review at wherever you get your podcast. And now, let's get back to the show. <laughs> 1968 was easily one of the closest elections in American history, and it was a hard-fought, tough battle, as you can see. But after it was over, President Johnson called Vice President Hubert Humphrey to console him about the loss. And then he would end up reaching out uh, and having both he and Muskie to the White House uh, before he had a chance to talk to President Nixon fight like you did here, but it was a wonderful one. And it wasn't your fault that they didn't
10: make it as you did. A, you you did the greatest job anybody's ever done. In this. Yeah, I'm sorry, to let you down a
1: little.
10: No, you didn't. No, you didn't. It's a lot of other folks, but not you. Uh, well, I Is, is our is, is, is our own people in the party that created all the problems, and all the conditions? And stirred up all the divisiveness, and yeah. now they're blaming everybody else. Yeah. But um, uh, you came out of it in mighty good shape, and I just wish it could have been a few hundred more. That's right. Well, uh, we
1: could have done it just a little better, but uh, we're not going to cry. Nothing you can do about it. We'll be back there. I'm going to take a few days off. And uh, maybe you go down to, to the Bay. You tell
10: Lady Bird I'm going down to her favorite haunt now. Well, she—I'm trying to locate her. and letters to tell you how much we all love you. Nice. We've been tears. We sent you a wire at uh, wow. Waverly, and uh, Thank you so much. Uh, I think I'll just read it to you. You may not get it. You have fought well and hard. You have carried your convictions and the standard of our party with eloquence and magnificent courage in 20 years of national service. You had no finer hours than those of the past few weeks in which you awakened the support and the interest of millions of our people. As a fellow public servant uh, uh, and as a Democrat, your friend of two decades, I'm proud of the brave, enlightened, and vigorous campaign you waged. Come here, Bert. I know that you'll continue to serve America and the cause of freedom for as long as you live. My deep admiration and affection to you and Muriel. Thank uh, you. Here's Bird. Here's,
6: Bert. here's, Bert. here's Bert.
1: <laughs> yes,
6: dear. You were just great. I was so proud of you. you. And there wasn't a soul in this house, but was standing around nothing, looking first happy and then droopy and, well, yeah. you, you, were, you were just magnificent. Go all. And, and so was Muriel. Well, and my, Muriel's right
1: here.
6: I know to right here. We're here. And I just thank you so much. And if, okay. uh, anything that we can, uh, we can, we've we got, we want to share with you, and we're just so proud of you. Thank you. Nixon's coming on. I better let you go. Let me just uh, have Muriel say hello to you. All right. Bird? Yes, dear. Hi, dear. You emerge as the star of this. Well, bless your heart. But, uh... Even if it is on very slightly, slightly, the little end. <laughs> well, it was really interesting with, uh, our family and, all at, uh... and I think you have a place in the hearts of the people that just, just will just always be remembered. Both of you do. And Hubert's last statement was just so eloquent and gallant and just I, I just loved it. That's wonderful um gosh I just wish we could have carried a for you folks. <laughs> and, and tell all I better if, you, if you're going away I think you might tell all the fish hello for me I <laughs> will yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do dear okay we leave by Friday that'll be wonderful Can you be up in Washington by, by tomorrow I think well maybe you know uh will bowl a little tomorrow night or so. goody, goody. <laughs> get back, I'd, I'd love it I'd love it call uh, me as soon as you get back uh, when we get back I'll give you Call. Just want one second. Yeah. We
10: love you, and you are wonderful, and whatever we got, we'll divide it 50-50 with you. Oh, thank you, Mr.
2: President. Goodbye. So it was a great experience.
10: God bless you, darling. Thank
2: you bye. very much. Here, here.
4: After the candidates had enjoyed a day of much-needed rest, the President invited both Mr. Humphrey and his running mate, Senator Ed Muskie of Maine, to breakfast in the Executive Mansion. He congratulated them both on the fine campaign they ran. In 20 years of national service, he remarked, you have had no finer hours than those of the past few weeks in which you awakened the support and interest of millions of people. On November 11th, President and Mrs. Johnson invited President-elect Richard Nixon and Mrs. Nixon to luncheon and a personally guided tour of the White House. Although the two leaders represented opposition parties with divergent views on many policy matters, they also knew the nation was passing through a critical period of foreign affairs. Their joint desire to speak with one voice on all urgent matters affecting national security underlined the tone of their initial discussion.
10: I realize, and President-elect Nixon realizes, if the American people expect and have a right to expect their government to efficiently function at all times. And both he and I are going to do everything that we possibly can to see that uh, the wheels of government operate at maximum efficiency, not only from now until January the 20th, but
0: uh, for all time to come. Now, as the transition begins between President Johnson to President-elect Nixon, uh, Johnson is still trying to get the Paris peace talks going and off the ground. And he wants President Chu to come uh, and represent South Vietnam. And he starts reaching out again to Everett Dirksen to try to push to make this peace conference uh, happen. And you can listen in now as he talks to Everett Dirksen, who's going to pass along when President Nixon's going to call him. And then President Nixon and President Johnson are going to have a very important phone call that you can listen to in its entirety, where you're going to hear... Johnson talk to him about the actions of Anna Chenault and this China lobby effort to sabotage the, the peace talks that he's trying to get off the ground.
10: Mr. Hello. 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 Yes? I, I talked to uh, Dick this morning. Yes, sir. Now he's coming to see you at 1 Monday, Yes? And uh, just for your background. Now, I gave him the words. I said, to you, It seems that uh, they sent some of their boys out to stiffen Sue's spine and tell him to wait and not send anybody. So you'll know that he knows the story. Mm-hmm. Well, What was his reaction? Well, he said he didn't send anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not, but maybe somebody else said mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh,. Well, did, what, what was his reaction to the request that he, he tell somebody to tell him to go on and get that parish meeting? He didn't give me very much reaction. Mm-hmm. He just fended a little by saying, uh, we didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> that may well be, but mm-hmm. there are a lot of those people in camp, you might mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. So you'll know the kind of a background, then, that you have to talk into. Mm-hmm. Well, well, now, the point is, though, this is not going to wait till Monday. Waiting. No, no. Hell no. This ought to go right now, because if they don't come, if they don't go in there this week, we're just going to have all kinds of problems. I thought from the arrangements that that uh, coming up here on Monday would be satisfactory. No, I told you last night, I ought to hear, I ought to heard this, I thought I'd hear earlier this morning, because we want, we want, too, to get a message so he can get a delegation from Saigon to Paris next yeah. week. Yeah. We think that... Uh, we think we've held up just every day, we're killing men, we're I killing mean, men. This, this arrangement for Monday was made through Jim. Yes, he called, uh, uh, Jim's, uh his man, talked to Jim yeah. Jones, said they were coming this way and they'd be here Monday, so we told them to come in and have lunch, so they're coming for lunch. But uh, uh, well, what I'm hoping that he will do, yeah, I Well, I think it'd be better if he didn't have it direct from me, but I think what... What he ought to do is just this simple thing: say I have said I'm supporting our president. Now he thinks that uh, uh, the the South Vietnamese should be at that Paris conference, and I'm supporting that. That's my position. And he ought to he ought to tell the Chennaults and uh, the rest of them that uh, by God to, to get that word out there. He said he would go to Paris if you wanted him
7: to. No, I don't want
10: any. I don't want any travels. All I want him to do is just tell him. Yeah. Uh, to get to Paris, get to get the, the, the delegation there. That's yeah. the way. I, it doesn't do any good for me to go there or for him to go there. We yeah. just need the Saigon delegation. Yeah. Because you can imagine what you and Mansfield are going to have if uh, we've got a peace conference and this fellow won't even attend it. Yeah. I do. Now, what he does at that conference is another matter. Yeah. Uh, we have told him that we will not be for coalition government. we told him that we will not uh, be uh, uh, for uh, uh, recognizing the NLF. Yeah. But he must go to the conference because we can't get him one vote in the Senate if he refuses to even talk. Yeah. Well, I fancied that after he said that he made the arrangement through Jim that you would have been informed about it. No, no, he didn't mention this at all. I just told, uh, I just, uh, told Jim to tell them when he wanted to see me, that I would be delighted to see them. But that I had uh, given you a message last night that was urgent, that we're killing men every day while they're sitting there and doing nothing. Now, if Saigon doesn't come to that meeting, I don't know what we'll have to do. Uh, Rusk is ready to brief Dick if he wants briefing, but uh, Saigon now thinks that they will play this out and keep this thing going on until January the 20th, and we think that's a mistake. I had to shop over all of Hell's creation to find him, -hmm. and uh, only got him here, well, I guess it was, what, about 12 miles. Well, you call him and you tell him that I think this is urgent enough that he should send word to the South Vietnamese Uh, either through me or through them. If he wants to give me a message, I'll carry it. If he wants to go direct to the embassy, he can do it. I told him I was going to call you. And say to them that he supports the president and they should send a delegation there. And do it quick. I'll do my best. All right, thank you.
0: (laughs) Okay, finally, here is President Nixon. He is President-elect Nixon. He is now calling President Johnson. He's talked to Everett Dirksen. And this call is very important, and I hope that you will listen to it and then the following call with Florida Senator George Smathers because within these these two conversations lies about what LBJ really thought happened and, in my opinion, is very different than what you will hear uh, from some historians and some other folks who want to make this out to be something that it wasn't. But This is Richard Nixon, Lyndon Johnson, after the election, the president and the president-elect in what will become one of the best transitions in American history.
10: Yes, sir. Operator, I had to come to another phone. I was eating dinner and go ahead and put the... Mm Fine. There you are. Hello. President? Yes, Dick. How are you? Did I interrupt your dinner? That's all right. I, I all was right. eating with some folks, but I came in another room. That's why I didn't want to talk. Oh, to no, that's too bad. That's well, a, no, no, it didn't. I'm President. just sitting here with your old friend rebozo Oh, give him my love. I think he's one of the finest yeah. persons when I ever knew. I want you to say hello to him. I would love to. Great uh, admirer of yours, and I know, <laughs> he's been awfully sweet to me. Let me say this: that uh, I'm glad you got a rebozo because he, yeah. he gave me a lot of comfort uh, when I needed it a lot. I, I had a nice visit with uh, the vice president today, yeah. and uh, and Muskie, and they went on down to Virgin Islands. And uh, I want you to know how much we appreciated your wire, and also Lady Bird's called a Pat. But it was all yeah. awesome nice. Good news. And uh, ben, as I understand that uh, we worked it out now that it won't inconvenience you. We'll see you at uh, Monday at uh, 1:30. Up at the That's, White good. That's good. That's right. Good. Now <clears throat> getting to the uh, one the key point is there anything I could do before that on this business of uh, South Vietnam? If you want me to do something, you know I'll do anything because uh, we're not going to let these people stop these, these things if you think I can do something. Uh, Dick, I told Erickson last night I thought it'd be better to uh, do it that way than to be calling on the trips. I think this. These people are proceeding on the assumption that folks close to you tell them to do nothing till January the 20th. You got it. Now, we think. I I know who they're talking about, too. Is it John Tower? (laughs) Well, he's one of several. Ms. Chenault is very much in there. Well, she's very close to John. And uh, the the embassy is telling the president, and the president is acting on this advice. He started doing it uh, uh, back about the 18th, following our talk on the conversation on the 16th. Uh, I had two bad breaks in the month of October. The first one came from the other side. Hanoi felt that because of what Bundy had said, Mac Bundy, that yeah. to withdraw troops, and what Humphrey had said, that he wouldn't... Uh, wait. Uh, that, well, he just said, we, I, don't, I will stop the bombing, period. I don't mean comma or semicolon. So Hanoi picked up the next day and went home for two weeks. We had it all wrapped up there and then uh, for the meeting. Now, I don't know what will come out of the conference, but uh, that was the way it was. They went off. In the meantime, these messages started coming out from here that uh, uh, Johnson was going to have a bombing pause to try to elect Humphrey and uh, that they ought to hold out because uh, Nixon uh will not sell you out like the democrats sold out china and we have talked to uh different ones i think they've been talking to agnew uh, i think they think that they've been they've been quoting you indirectly that the thing they ought to do is to just not show up at any conference and wait until you come into office right now they started that and that's bad they're killing americans every day I have that, uh, documented. Uh, there's not any question but what that's happening. Now, I said to you in that last, uh talk that I don't believe you know it or you're responsible for it and I said you know when I talked to all three of you at that time but I said we have problems uh, I looked over that transcript the other night we have problems I think we can work them out I believe you will ultimately come but they are problems now they're problems because these people are telling them that now I think the wise thing to do from the standpoint of your country and from the standpoint of your presidency and uh, I hope you believe me. I, I want to help you. I want to help you. I don't want to trick you or deceive you. I want peace. And uh, I don't want to get some Democrat uh, in a favorable position over you. But I think they ought to go to that conference. now. mean ask that's this. Is anything we could do right now? Yes, I think you ought to have whoever you trust the most in Washington. Whoever you're... Go to the ambassador? Yes, sir. Go to the ambassador and say to him, I am... I told the president when he proposed these three points, number one, he assured me that he would not be for a coalition government. The president has assured me that. The president assured me he'd never recognize the NLF. So I have those assurances from him. The president's going to be as strong on this as I am. But the president thinks that if we're to support South Vietnam through the years ahead, that we must be willing to meet at a conference table. Now, that's all we're asking. Now, you cleared that on the 7th and on the 16th and on the 28th, at least. That's what South Vietnamese did. They all cleared it. Therefore, Mr. Ambassador, I think you ought to tell the president that I support our president on going to the conference, and I think you ought to go. And uh, if they try to sell you out, you don't have to agree. But you ought to go because the Fulbright's and the Mansfields and yeah. uh, even the Dirkson's will not go along with anybody. It won't go to a conference table. Now that's where they are tonight. Let me let me ask you this about the ambassador. As uh, I met him about five or six months ago, did he have any influence with that government? <laughs> yes, he is. Uh, he is giving them these signals, and okay. uh, he is he is telling them that. Uh, Uh, He has just talked to New Mexico, and he has just talked to the Nixon people, and they say, hold out, don't do anything. We're going to win, and we'll do better by you. Now, that's the story, Dick, and it's a sordid story. Uh, I told you that Sunday when I talked to you. You remember when I talked to Smathers and Dirksen? Right. Now, I don't want to say that to the country because that's not good. Right. But uh, they're playing that game. I don't think you're playing it, and I'd get off that hook. I'd just say to them... You go to that conference, and you protect your country, and I'm going to support our president as long as he doesn't agree to a coalition government, as long as he doesn't agree to recognize the NLF, as long as he, he stands on the conditions he does, and we're united, and don't right. depend on me to give you a better deal. We'll do that. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, who would be the best one to... Uh who do you think the ambassador? Who, who should I have talked to him? You got anybody in mind that? Uh, no, you know, I don't know. Durk, I
8: could Dirksen do it.
10: Yeah, I I don't know whether Dirksen has any contact or not. I, uh, I I I trust Dirksen. I think Dir- Dirksen is a. Uh, uh, he's hey, not for I any communist takeover, and the same what time what he's intelligent. But I might. Well, also he's uh, considered to be a. Why don't we? Uh, wanna, uh, let me try this out. Why don't I get uh, see if I can get Everett to go over to the ambassador. and laid on the line with them. That's what I... ...say that this is, that he speaks for Nixon and John Johnson. Let me say this, Mr. President, that there's nothing that I want more than to get these people to that table. And matter of fact, as I told you on the phone and I said publicly, I'll even go out there if necessary to get them there. Uh, but I don't think, I think that'd be a grandstand stunt. However, it would not be the best way. But if you think the ambassador has influence, I'll have Dirksen talk to the ambassador or I could do it myself if you think that'll help. I think it would help. I'd just call him on the phone and say, I want you to know this. I don't want your people to get off key. I'm talking to the president every day, Right. and the president has assured me he's not going to do anything well, that if we don't understand. And you tell your president that he better get his people that conference and get them that quick. And what he does there is a matter for his judgment. But he oughtn't to refuse to go to a room and meet. Okay, we'll work on it. Okay, then. Uh Now, let me ask you this, uh, one other thing. Tell me about the Helm. Uh, what do you think of Helm? How do you I think, think he's a career, former UPI man I never heard of. Uh, I appointed an admiral uh, when John McCone left because yeah. uh, I wanted to be sure I didn't get a patsy or soft guy in there, and uh, we had too many of them here uh the admiral uh, took it over and this helms was the deputy uh i consider him let me, you, let me ask your candid opinion would you continue him yes i would yes i would if i were you i'd continue him and if i were taken over from you i'd continue him. he's objective he's a reporter he was an old upi man he's fair he's uh he's not an advocate uh he's anti uh Oh, I know. He's anti-communist. When well, I met him out at the ranch, I was very impressed by him, and well, I remember during his you, you feel that way, do you? Yes, yes. I never heard of him until I appointed him. He was a deputy to this admiral that I had, and he, he was he's extremely competent. He's succinct. He tells you as it is, and uh, he's loyal. He's let he's let just... Let ask you to do this as a person. Would you mind and... Mm. and, and so I think it'd be a, a, a nice way to, the word, transition. If you could tell him sometime before we meet on Monday that we've talked and that, well, I don't want to say it now, that we planning to continue him. Would you do that? Oh, yes, yeah, yes, I would glad to. Then, uh, because I think it's good that we have a, you know, a good uh, transition. Now, on this fellow, uh, the ambassador, uh, uh, he speaks English. He
3: pretty well. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, we could talk to him. I'll. Uh, I don't, I don't
10: think we will to do on the phone, though. I maybe ought to, but I don't want the, I don't want him to come down. Maybe I could see him when I come up to Washington. That might be a better thing. And uh, no, I might get to him before that, though. Uh, uh, maybe Thursday. One, I would write out whatever I said, and what I would say, Rusk said yesterday, yeah. and Rusk is the best advisor you can have until you get a man I you have that much confidence in. Understand. He'll play his fair with you, and I, I'll bet my life on it, as he will with me. He's a good man. Rusk said if I were Nixon, I would write out one sentence, and I'd say I support the President of the United States and going to the conference as soon as you can, and thereby they're discussing... <laughs> the problems of Asia, and uh, we are united on that. Now, the president has given me assurances that he's not for recognizing the NLF as an independent entity, and he's not for coalition government. And that's what you say you want, too. So uh, you go on and talk it over. And if you can settle it, I'll, I'll be the happiest man in the world. If you can't, When I come in, I'll assure you that the president will work with me in trying seven. Actually, if we can get him to talking before that, it'll be much better, though. It certainly will, because you won't... This 60 days is the best time to get the damn... You won't have 10 men in the Senate, support South Vietnam, when you come in if these folks refuse to go to the conference. Absolutely. Well, I'll uh, I'll get on it. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, we'll try to get... uh, I'll try to get Dirksen on the phone now and see if we can arrange to have this fellow. Uh, uh, well, I'll, I'll work it out. You don't need to worry about that. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll try to get to him. And, uh, and uh, I can just put it quite directly that we want him to go to the conference period and that we, you and I agree completely on what ought to be done. I'll and I would do it. I'd say we'll be in touch each day and uh, yeah. that he can be sure that uh, he can tell his president that this government's going to operate as one before and after. Right. And I'm not going to make any uh, any decision there that uh, will uh, uh, adversely affect those people without talking to you and without talking to them. Well, of course... The point well, I haven't stayed in this thing five years to throw it away the last the five weeks. The point is, too, that you've always... Uh, you've, your position has always been... Basically, as I told you, uh, you've taken the position which was... Uh, extremely unpopular and which was right and uh, so therefore I want to support you on it and we're going to do it and there's no, no question about that I want you to know that thank you Dick thank and, you uh, now the only difficulty is now does, does Russ think this ambassador I don't know the fellow well enough I, only, I met him in New York about oh in April or May and he's a uh, Russ told me last night that he ought to, that Nixon ought to do one or two things. That I'll go see Nixon if you want me to. Yeah. I said I think that will uh, highlight a problem, and there'll be a lot of press around it right. will embarrass Nixon, and embarrass you. And he he said that I should just talk to the ambassador. He said that we well, ought to do one or two things. You ought to pick out whoever you're going to have Secretary of State or whoever your closest friend is to guess. go tell him. Or you ought to say in writing uh, just two sentences uh, that uh, I want you to know, uh, pick up the phone and tell him, I want you to know that I believe your country ought to go to this conference. It's going to make it hard for all of us if you don't. And the president talked to me about it before we had the conference. And he's going to talk to me about what happens at the conference. And you don't need to feel insecure. We're We're going to stay with you and be fair. And I can give you that assurance and uh, you ought to tell them that they're going to hurt themselves, though, if Fulbright oh, yeah. and Mansfield. Country. Mansfield's. The, the country will uh, not support. Them. Mansfield's coming in to me tomorrow to say to them to go straight to hell and go on and negotiate a, a get out with Hanoi. That's what he's coming. He's the leader of the Senate. You can't do that because no. we got to. That way you'd leave all those boys out there alone. I right? uh, sure can, or uh, pull them out and let leave them there alone. That's what I mean, yeah. You know. But if, if this damn fool just sits back and says today, he says, that he wants to go and head the United States delegation and tell us what to do, and under our Dick, Constitution, I couldn't do that. No, no that's right. So right, boy, what Dick. he's doing, Dick, these people, are, they thought that we were going to trick you and try to pull a bombing hall to defeat you, so their judgment was that they ought to take out insurance and get them to screw the thing up where uh, no good would come. Now, uh, we're not trying to do that, and I'm not, and I think that uh, American boys are being killed every day. We ought to tell these folks to go to the conference, and we're going to support South Vietnam uh, uh, after the election, just like we did before. And if they go, then there's a better chance for them than if they don't go. Stop today. because otherwise they'll be deserted. Of okay. course. Okay. All right. I'll get you out. let me know now who you, what you do and what you say, right. so I'll, I'll know there. What time is it? Uh, what I'd, is it? If I were you, I'd call him right now and I'd just say, I have just talked to the president, period. I want you to know that I think your president should send a delegation there next week, period. I can assure you that I have assurances that this government before and after january the 20th is going to play it straight and fair with you but you will lose if you don't get a delegation there and soon period because hanoi and nlf are having a propaganda field day Russ told me tonight that the great social charm in paris is the nlf woman oh god yes. and 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 they're just sitting back and saying that the u.s can't even deliver Right, and okay. that's what I'd say to him. There's no nothing dangerous about it. That you've said that publicly. Oh, boy, I, I support the president. I support the government. And I just say, Mr. Ambassador, that some people raise the question, and I just think you ought to tell your president that I have an agreement with our president that we're going to act in unison, just right. as two partners. Right. We'll do it. Okay. Bye.
3: If progress is to be made on matters like Vietnam, uh, the current uh, possible crisis in the Middle East. Uh, the relations between the United States and the Soviet Union with regard to certain outstanding matters. Uh, If progress is to be made in any of these fields, uh, it can be made only if the parties on the other side realize that the current administration is setting forth policies that will be uh, carried forward by the next administration. The point that I think
4: the assurances that the president received from Mr. Nixon and their accord on many urgent items on the national agenda gave promise of one of the most active and cordial transition periods in the history of the American presidency. Might
3: have some very significant action uh,
0: progress toward peace. Thank
10: Thank you, gentlemen.
0: And it was a very good transition between. Uh, the Johnson administration to the Nixon administration. It's considered one of the best uh, in the whole history of the country, especially when you had presidents from either party. But I want to go back to this phone call before we move on to George Smathers' call and that, that one of the things that uh, Rachel Maddow and several and this Ken Hughes uh, have make a point of is the secret meeting by President Nixon his campaign manager, John Mitchell, who would later become the attorney general, who also would later end to go to jail for his involvement in Watergate, Anna Chenault, and the South Vietnamese ambassador. They make a big deal out of this. as is a secret meeting, clandestine meeting. But you don't know what happened in the meeting because everybody in the meeting is dead. And the only one who ever talked, I think, was Mrs. Chenault. She did that after everybody else was dead, so there was no way to know what happened. But here's the funny thing about it. Secret meeting? In this conversation between President Nixon and President Johnson, Nixon brings it up several times that he met him several months ago in that same time period uh, and, and you know, didn't know whether he had influence with the government. He's asking Johnson, does he have government in, influence with the South Vietnamese government, uh, you know, in Saigon? So he's, he's feeling him out based on the fact that he doesn't really know. So... The bottom line is he's, he's not hiding from anybody that he met the man. And, I, and that's the first of two very important points. The next one's going to be made here in this call by Lyndon Johnson with Senator Smathers. We're going to listen to it right now.
10: I do think, it, as his friend, that you ought to insist as quickly as he can that he get a man here for Rostow's place, whoever's going to be his top man in the White House, and whoever's going to be his top man at state and defense. Right. Because I just don't believe a man in, in 30 days can possibly take it and run it. I don't think you can fly a 707 in 30 days. Yeah. Right. And if you're going to have flights, you better get in there. Now, he, he'll have men with experience, but he doesn't know all these things that are coming up. I'm meeting now on a kind of an emergency meeting with Fowler, Rusk, Clifford, Bill Martin and all of them, on uh, the devaluation of the franc. In addition to that, I've got a dozen new cables in on South Vietnam, and North Vietnam shot down a reconnaissance plane this morning, and ten Israelis were killed yesterday in the Middle East. The Soviets are talking about going into Romania. Uh, if they go in there like they did Czechoslovakia, the question is, what do we do when they go in there in Yugoslavia? Do we sit here and let them take all Eastern Europe on the heel or what? Now, all those things are happening every second. Right. And those three men ought to be known and feel select men of competence. Right. Uh, we'll turn them over everything uh, to help them. Uh, a matter of fact, you remember Woodrow Wilson wrote Lansing uh, and said if Hughes is elected, so he thought he might very well be that he believed he'd talk to the vice president and get him to resign. And he and the vice president resigned instead of waiting until March. They'd appoint Hugh Secretary of State. And then the Secretary of State would become president so the country wouldn't be in that danger during that period. That was during the World War I. Yeah. Uh, that didn't happen because Wilson carried California. Right. Uh, and we've moved up March to January the uh, 20th. The 20th. But uh, it wouldn't have been. It'd be wiser if they took over November the sixth, because uh, 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 this uh, this is very difficult. This period, and you know, when I made the decision on Vietnam, uh, uh, I had a treaty that they had signed, eighty-two to one, telling me to do it, and I got a Tonkin Gulf resolution, said you directed to deter aggression. I got it, five hundred four to two, and even with that, uh, they turned on me now. uh, fella gets in over there now on any of these things, the Middle East, you got no treaty, you got nothing. Right. And uh, if you don't get in, uh, it's too late. So it's a very precarious uh, and dangerous situation. And these boys always take, uh, uh, take uh, uh, advantage of it. Right. And uh, I think that every time he can, my mail shows universal approval. I haven't received one criticism. And uh, I've had more compliments of of the president-elect and myself than I've ever had before on uh, his statement out here saying that uh, we were going to be united and I think every time that he can say that Murphy is following everything and he is aware of it and he's keeping right up with everything and that uh, there's no division on these things uh, and going to be none until January the twentieth, the better it is because that that doesn't give the Russians any encouragement. They moved in the Cu- uh, They they moved in uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis came October 22nd, just a few days before our election. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They do everything, and uh, this this bunch of fools that moved in and got to South Vietnam not to go to the conference because of Nixon. Yeah. Uh, they just screwed up everything, and we've uh, we it's taken us three or four weeks, and I didn't expose it because I just couldn't use those sources. And I didn't want to make it impossible for him to govern. I think if I had a said to the country that this is, uh, an exposed this, brought it out, I think it would have shocked the country so that uh, he would have been seriously hurt. Yeah. And uh, so I just told you, and he told Erkson, and got it kind of back on the track again. Right. But that damn woman is still messing around, causing trouble, that uh, Ms. chenault okay. All right, well, that's very informative, and I'll pass it on to the fellow in New York, uh, and tell him
0: what you said. Here's what you hear in this this thing. Whenever you hear people use snippets of this conversation to make the case that Richard Nixon committed treason, they use this particular piece.
10: This bunch of fools that moved in and got to South Vietnam not to go to the conference because of Nixon. Uh, they just screwed up everything, and we've uh, we, it's taken us three or four weeks.
0: And I didn't expose it because I just couldn't use those sources. But it's interesting to listen to the entire call, not just this portion. But let me address this thing about sources. When he's talking about sources, the bottom line is Lyndon Johnson illegally asked somebody that he knew at the FBI, and he's the president after all, to record a private citizen. And, and put wiretaps on the South Vietnamese ambassador, and put them on the, uh, in Saigon. So he's taping everything, all these people, and it's not legal. That's first off. So he couldn't really use these sources. But nobody, uh, Pat Buchanan, uh, you know, I don't know about President Nixon, but you know, nobody's ever denied that they thought Anna Chenault, who was a fervent China lobby person. She had believed the Democrats lost China. She's fighting communism spread in Asia. It's big time important to her. Nobody had thinks that she didn't do something, that she wasn't calling or trying. She was traveling around the country, um, giving speeches about Asia. This was something that was near, dear, near and dear to her. The question is, she may have been supporting Nixon, but did Nixon put her up to trying to to stop this peace conference. There's no evidence that that's the case, none. And if you listen to these tapes in their entirety, not just snippets, you see Nixon saying he doesn't know, he didn't know anything about it. Um, but in these tapes right here, let's listen to Nixon as he, when, when he's asked to do something by President Johnson. In the meantime, these messages started coming out from
10: here that uh Uh, Johnson was going to have a bombing pause to try to elect Humphrey and uh, that they ought to hold out because uh, Nixon uh, will not sell you out like the Democrats sold out China. And we have talked to uh, different ones. I think they've been talking to Agnew. Uh, I think they think that they've they've been quoting you indirectly that the thing they ought to do is to just not show up at any conference and wait until you come into office right okay. now they started that and that's bad they're killing americans every day i have that uh, documented uh there's not any question but what that's happening now i said to you uh, in that last uh, talk that I don't believe you know it or you're responsible for it and I said, you know, when I talked to all three of you at that time, but I said we have problems uh, I looked over that transcript the other night we have problems I think we can work them out, I believe you will ultimately come, but there are problems now they're problems because these people are telling them that now I think the wise thing to do from the standpoint of your country and from the standpoint of your presidency and uh, I hope you believe me I I want to help you I want to help you I don't want to trick you or deceive you I want peace and uh, I don't want to get some Democrat uh, in a favorable position over you but I think they ought to go to that conference now. Look at this. Is anything we could do right now? Yes, I think you ought to have whoever you trust the most in Washington, whoever you're. to uh, the ambassador. Yes, sir. go to the ambassador and say to him, no. "I am." I told the president when he proposed these three points. Number one, he assured me that he would not be for a coalition government. The president has assured me that. That's right. The president assured me he'd never recognize the NLF. So I have assurances from him right the president's going to be as strong on this as i am but the president thinks that if we're to support south vietnam through the years ahead that we must be willing to meet at a conference table now that's all we're asking now you cleared that on the 7th and on the 16th and on the 28th at least that's what south vietnamese did they all cleared it therefore mr ambassador i think you ought to tell the president that I support our president on going to the conference, and I think you ought to go. And uh, if they try to sell you out, you don't have to agree, but you ought to go because the Fulbright's and the Mansfield's and yeah. uh, even the Dirkson's will not go along with anybody that won't go to a conference table. Now, that's where they are tonight. Let me Let me ask you this. About the ambassador, as uh, I met him about five or six months ago, does he have any influence with that government? Yes, he is. Uh, he is giving them these signals, and uh, he is he is telling them that uh, uh, he has just talked to New Mexico, and he has just talked to the Nixon people, and they say, "Hold out, don't do anything. We're going to win, and we'll do better by you." Now that's the story, Dick, and it's a sordid story. Uh, I told you that Sunday when I talked to you. You remember when I talked to Smathers and Dirksen? Right. Now, I don't want to say that to the country because that's not good. Right. But uh, they are playing that game. I don't think you're playing it, and I'd get off that hook. I'd just say to them, you go to that conference, and you protect your country, and I'm going to support our president. As long as he doesn't agree to a coalition government, as long as he doesn't agree to recognize the NLF, as long as he, he stands on the conditions he does, and we're united. And don't right. depend on me to give you a better deal.
0: We'll do that. Now, when you listen to this tape and this conversation, Nixon doesn't know what's going on, and he's and he, and he, he started to take guesses as to who might be doing what Johnson says they're doing. He says, John Tower, Senator from Texas first, and then Anna Chenault. Then he says to him, well, she's close to to Tower. But he says, you need to do something to make sure this happens. And Nixon agrees to it. Now, here's what stands out. In a moment, you're going to hear him talking again to the, in the Smathers call. And he says to him, I went to Dirksen, and then we went to Nixon, and we asked him to settle this and and get this stopped, and get these people to to the table. And he did it. And we got it straightened out. But that damn Chenault woman is back at it again, which tells you that he knew Nixon didn't have anything to do with it, but he wanted him to rein this woman in and that Nixon did what he had to do. And she has turned around and gone behind his back and done, med- tried to meddle in this again. And that tells you everything you need to know about the Chenault affair.
10: This came October 22nd, just a few days before our election. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they do everything, and uh, this, this bunch of fools that moved in and got to South Vietnam not to go to the conference because of Nixon, yeah. uh, they just screwed up everything, and we've uh, we, it's taken us three or four weeks. And I didn't expose it because I just couldn't use those sources, and I didn't want to make it impossible for him to govern. I think if I had a stat said to the country that this is, uh, uh, an exposed this, brought it out, I think it would have shocked the country so, that uh, he would have been seriously hurt. Yeah. And uh, uh, so I just told you, and he told Erkson, and got it kind of back on the track again. Right. But that damn woman is still messing around, causing trouble, that uh, Ms. Okay. Uh, Chennault. Yeah, All right, well that's very informative enough. Pass it on
0: to the fellow New York uh, and tell him you've said. That, my friends, is what you call case closed. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs>